Hey brothers, how are you doing? What's good, Harsh? Uh, or better yet, what's up, stranger? It's been a while. Why stranger? Because I haven't talked to you in two to three weeks. Two, three weeks. Where have you been, by the way? So I was back home last week. I ended up going home for Eid, celebrated with the family, and now I'm back. What's Eid? So Eid is a festival, uh, and more so it's a gathering. Different people have different interpretations regarding it. Uh, but this most recent Eid was the celebration after Ramadan was done. So we had Ramadan for the 30 days, and afterwards we had Eid. Ramadan is where you're not allowed to eat for a particular amount of time, right? Right. So the last time we were recording, I was doing Ramadan. Where fasting in itself isn't that difficult, but when you're dehydrated, it could take a toll on you. You can't have water too, man. That yeah. sucks. I used to have a gym trainer who was also a Muslim, and he would do these fasts for 30 days straight. And he would not have any water. And every single year, he would get kidney stones. And Ooh. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, if you were getting kidney stones, why are you doing it? But apparently, Muslims really, really care about their religion. Like, they, they take it really seriously. And this guy knows that he's going to get kidney stones every year he does it. And he still does it. What the heck? Why doesn't he stop working out at least during that time? He's a trainer. He's a gym trainer. That's his occupation. Oh, I see. I see. It's crazy how much technology has changed the gym industry. Where before, if you were a gym trainer, you physically had to be there. But nowadays, a lot of these gym trainers are starting these YouTube channels, uh, launching programs, selling it online, where you're freeing up your body a lot more. You still need to have the goods. You still need to be physically fit. But you don't always have to be at the gym. That's actually very true. The thing is, fitness is one of those perpetual markets where everybody wants to be fit. And fitness and nutrition, these two markets are evergreen. They're always in full force. People always want to be fit regardless of whether they're rich, poor, fat, thin. They, they, they'll pay for being fit. And mm -hmm. all these social media platforms, they allow you to scale your knowledge. So fitness, if you have knowledge in fitness, it's very, very easy to make money online. Like you could get clients paying you 500 bucks a month fairly easily. And you have like 10 clients like that and you're making a decent income online. Yeah. There's another thing that you predicted in one of our past episodes that's been becoming a thing. Can you guess what that is? Hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't remember what you're talking about, so I can't guess what it is. Matchmaking. Oh, it's becoming a thing? Well, I'm pretty sure it was already a thing in India. But as of late, there was this show on Netflix called Indian Matchmaking. And the matchmaker, her name is Seema. And Seema, since being on that program, she went from charging pretty average prices to nowadays you need to spend $20,000 to even talk to her. There's a lot of oh, time that she has. It's not just in India anymore. After getting exposure on the show, matchmaking is becoming a concept again. I'm thinking, wait a minute, Harsh called that. <laughs> See, that's the thing about matchmakers, you know. If you are paying a matchmaker $20,000, 
well you know for sure that the other person also paid twenty thousand dollars so that means they have the money to pay for stuff like this mm-hmm. so they're rich yeah it's one of those industries where the more you pay the better product you get usually simply because of the fact that poor people are not paying that much money for matchmaking so if you want a richer family just go to a more expensive matchmaker the one thing that i noticed from the show is that you have someone calling you out on your bs so certain people are super picky about the smallest things they'll say well this person chews too loud and without someone calling you out on your bs that thing is going to get amplified in your mind yeah i mean can i really be with someone who chews so loud and it's just getting amplified and then typically these people are speaking to their friends and they'll say right i mean this guy chews so loud or how can i possibly be with that and the friends are agreeing with them but that's when simanti comes out of the blue moon and she'll say look you're overthinking this you need to snap out of it and just having someone to do that wakes them up and they're much more likely to go on that second date is this like a matchmaking show for westerners or for indians so there's a couple of indians on the show uh, there's indians on the show there's westerners so it, it's a global thing i see because i've never heard of indians rejecting people for chewing loudly but you do get rejected for stupid shit like being born at the right on the on the wrong time or on the wrong day and things like that yeah yeah so this sima lady she she's hardcore into astrology and face reading and every now and then the face reader will say this person is going to get married in this lifetime and now sima anti thinks she has all the proof that she needs <laughs> so she goes to the face readers a lot to validate her decisions what indians are very picky about i've noticed is that if the person is a former divorcee that's when they'll say oh no call it off wait is it unique to indians i thought that everybody thinks that way well yes uh, but there are certain uh, times where in the western clientele that she had they'd be willing to still speak to the person where with the indians they're not too picky about oh this guy chews too loud but they're more picky about the the family is this person from is this person also punjabi or not or is this person a divorcee why and they'll ask was the past person that they married an american or one of their own and that plays a decision if they got divorced to an american mhm yeah of course of course i mean think about it like this okay think about it from an indian person's perspective if someone is divorced they they technically they well they literally are used goods right and not only are they used goods they're used by a foreigner and makes it worse oh <laughs> <laughs> so i i get where that mindset is coming from given that i'm also an indian like i can relate to it Personally, I would not marry a divorcee. Just wouldn't do it. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. The whole chewing loudly thing doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. I mean that's like a minor thing that can be fixed easily. Mm-hmm. But divorcee, no man. I mean, if I was a divorcee, then maybe. But <laughs> if you were a divorcee, then <laughs> they shouldn't judge you. <laughs> well, if I was a divorcee, then I would be more willing to marry a divorcee. But if i'm not a divorcee then why ah, would i, I do this i see what you're saying 
Where, See, think of it in like, think of it in practical terms. This person got married; it didn't work out, and now I'm supposed to marry them. They've already failed once. Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? That is typically the concerns that these people's parents have, because Seema Auntie does westerns and uh, Indians, and typically for the Indian. clientele i noticed that the mom and the dad are typically there and that's when the parents are saying what you're bringing up if they failed before why am i going to have my kid take the risk again and that's when sima anti will say stuff such as well nowadays d- divorces are crumbling like cakes even in india so is that something not that you've in noticed it's it's still it's there in india but not like cakes Like the divorce rate for India is one percent, and one percent. That's artificially low. Yeah, one percent, and that's artificially low because it's hard to get a divorce in India. You have to fight a long court case. Hmm. But I would say maybe five percentage of marriage marriages don't work in India. So one in twenty, as opposed to say in the West, one in two marriages don't work. So marriages are not crumbling in India like this lady says. Mm-hmm. and uh, even if they are why would you accept an inferior product just because every like, most people out there are not good enough to get married to you does not mean you accept an inferior product you just wait around till you find a decent match right you should become a matchmaker oh man i don't want to get into the matchmaking business it's too annoying too many people to deal with and quite frankly I'm not sure about the future of marriage in general. What do you mean? I think we're moving to a world and we're moving to a society and a way of thinking which is not compatible with marriage. We are moving to say people who isolated they live in an isolated way they have very strong opinions about themselves. and they view divorce as something that's normal something that's something that's not stigmatic you know something that doesn't like make you a worse person so they've normalized divorce and the fact that if you get married and then you get divorced you get fucked as a guy your finances absolutely get raped by the court system so i don't see why men in the future will want to marry the women of the future because one they can sleep with the women for free you don't need to be married to sleep with women anymore two if you get married there's a high chance it doesn't work out and the chance of divorce actually keeps increasing and when it doesn't work out you end up paying half your net worth many years of your income in child support and alimony and what have you and is it worth it no so i don't see men of the future doing it hmm So you're sounding more western at this point. Is this I are these ideas that even accepted in India because you just mentioned that the divorce rate is 1% over there? They're not accepted in India now. What I'm saying is in the as a whole across the world this is where we're moving to. So this may not be true now, but in say 80 years, yes, it's going to be true. Ooh, okay. Do you still see the nuclear family being a thing in the future i don't know India? actually i don't know because i see two futures and we could go either way at this point 
one future I see is very Orwellian where the state raises their family, the kid is thought about giving blowjobs for the kids and you know, bullshit like that, <laughs> LGBT and kid is thought, you know, there are transsexuals, 2000 genders, etc. And the state controls their brain. The state, tell the state tells them what to think and the parent has no authority. In that case, it could be something like the kid becomes five years old and the state takes them into some camp to be raised. So there is one future like that. On the other hand, I see the Bitcoin future where everyone is free. People have their own farms or whatever, and they don't have nearly as much state control as we have today. So today, if you're not vaccinated, you can't do this. You can't do that, blah, blah, blah. And in the future, if crypto becomes a thing, then the power of governments will fall significantly. The ability to wage war will be much lower. And we will have more freedoms than we have today. So I see two futures. We can go either way. I don't know which one will win, but one of those. Hmm. One thing that I do see, you know how you were very bullish on matchmaking being a thing? Mm -hmm. I'm very bullish on homeschooling being a thing where slowly I've noticed a lot of parents taking their kids out and they're homeschooling them. Where if you did something like that five years ago, that was seen as strange. The typical idea that stopped that was, well, how are they going to become social? But nowadays, a lot of the kids, uh, they're joining clubs, they're joining sports teams and such. So homeschooling, especially after coronavirus happened, it was proven as a concept. It was one of those things where you're seeing, wait a minute, these teachers can just record their lectures and put it on some sort of file server and they log in. But in the future... Internet literacy is going to become more of a thing where you're teaching these kids to navigate the internet effectively. And let's say you're having them build a business. And now they're getting this holistic understanding of what it's like uh, to apply that information. And then you just have them join a couple of clubs. Because I never understood the concept of uh, if you do homeschooling, you can't be social. Because I don't know about for you, but for me, my upbringing was pretty strict. So I couldn't chill with my friends after school anyways. Most of the times I was social as a kid was when I was going to these dawats or joining karate, these clubs and such. What about you? Would you homeschool your kids? I mean, there's a high likelihood, yeah. Would you raise your kids in America or would you prefer to raise them in a different country? I prefer the U.S., I mean, I don't know any other country where, I mean, people talk about U.S., this and that, where a lot of the viral news is pretty bad. But ultimately, this this has been my upbringing for the past couple of years. And I see U.S., uh, if you find the right spots in the U.S., when you're outside of the U.S., you just view it as a big blob. But when you live in the U.S., you see the nuances of it where there's different places that are completely wacky, but there are other untapped potential. So the untapped potential part, <clears throat> Florida, uh, are the places <laughs> I'd like to uh, raise my kids. How many genders would you tell your kid that uh, that exists? Two. <laughs> Two. <laughs> or man banned. Unapologetic These... Truths podcast banned tomorrow. <laughs> Man, You're about to get us, uh, what is it, demonetized again? 
Oh, we've only got <laughs> we've only gotten de- or we got a content strike once. We haven't put ads on these episodes yet. So my dad asked me. He said, "Why don't you put ads on these episodes?" How much money can we even make off ads because the LMM channel it was making when I had ads on it was making like 20 30 bucks a month dollars and I'm like wait a minute who the hell cares about 20 dollars a month? It's so annoying for the viewer mm-hmm. and All it's doing is making twenty bucks a month, so I turned it off for all videos. Oh, you turned it off? Yeah, I don't have monetization on on the LMM channel. So, if someone wants to watch an LMM video, you can do it without waiting to watch an ad. Do you have the thanks feature? What feature? It's called the thanks feature. So, you could turn it on in your monetization after you meet certain metrics. So, if someone resonates with your content, they can donate money to you. Uh, I don't have it. I don't think people donate too much money, to be honest. In the not sense that most people are users, right? People are not donors, so they don't give enough money for it to be worthwhile. And the occasional five, ten dollar donation is not going to make any difference whatsoever. So, YouTube is just for fun. You guys can watch it, like it, comment, but we don't really need the three cents from your ad <laughs> revenue. <laughs> And I wonder how we would get paid as well, because I know the U.S. CPMs are higher than the India's CPM. So how are they going to weigh it? Are they going to weigh it as a Indian show or an American show? I'm thinking it's going to be weighed as an Indian show because most of the people listening to these episodes are from your side of the world, your mm-hmm. audience. So we most likely wouldn't even make that much money. I don't know. I don't know. It really depends. So, if your channel is about making money or you know finance or something like that, then you get paid more. But if your channel is about random nonsense, then you get paid less. And I'm not sure where we stand on that. <laughs> <laughs> Where? What are we? It's very difficult to pin us down. Yeah, maybe we're random nonsense. Maybe we're about making money and being fit. Who knows? Who knows? The only way to find out is actually to turn on monetization and then see how much money we're making. How many cents are we collecting a day, Arman? How many cents are we collecting? <laughs> I do recall uh, when we used to have ads on my channel. There were certain people that used to complain about it. They say oh, I was trying to listen, but after the sixth ad, after after the first hour, I just couldn't. I'm thinking, how many ads are they putting on? Because I click the default one. Do you click default or do you manually put the ads in there? Default. Default. Yeah. To to center your business on YouTube ad revenue is one of the riskiest things you can do. Have I you heard that YouTube? Ad revenues used to be much higher than they are today. Oh yeah, have you heard of this gentleman named Matt Walsh? Matt Walsh from Twitter, yes. Yeah, so he's also signed under the Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's platform. Mm-hmm. And recently, Matt Walsh got demonetized on a lot of his videos, and he may get demonetized completely. So he had this video where he was talking about YouTube and. How if you don't align with their policies, you could build a catalog. You could be making a lot of money from this catalog, but in the future, if they don't like the trajectory of the type of topics you're talking about, they can demonetize that entire catalog. How scary is that? And if you just build your business on this platform, 
that's similar to building a business on a sandcastle. Man, at this point, the thing is that most people just use these platforms. So you don't have the option of going to some other platform. Do you see Rumble becoming a thing? No, I do not. I don't see it becoming a thing. I think it's going to be like a very, very niche thing at best, but I don't see it going mainstream. I think the only big solution that can happen is the government actually, you know, comes up with a law that makes all of these platforms like public property or fairer. Because right now we are in the times where railroad was private. So in the early 1900s or late 1800s, sorry, Mm -hmm. late 1900s or early 2000s. No, wait, wait, wait. Late 1800s or early 1900s where the railroads were private. So if the railroad owner did not like you, he would not take your goods or charge you higher money or charge you more than your competitor or just not allow you to ply traffic. And at some point, the government is like, this is all anti-competitive nonsense. We're stepping in. We're nationalizing the railroads. And now Mm -hmm. you guys don't get to decide who gets to use it and who can't. And that thing is very necessary to do in the social media space because it is one thing to say that, you know, go just go to a different platform. The thing is that no one uses a different platform. If I was to say, make a video on Rumble, no one's going to watch it. If I was to say, use Truth Social by Donald Trump, my tweets get more impressions than Truth Social has users. So every once in a while, a tweet of mine will get a million views and Truth Social has less users than that. So there are no viable alternatives. These are platforms that have such strong network effects that nothing else can get established. And at at this point, the only solution is some kind of government intervention that says that, no, you can't discriminate against people. You have to be fair. And, you know, we're it's like national property now. This is like, public ground mm. free speech laws apply i could see that happening where it was a year or two years ago where a lot of these big tech guys were getting grilled by congress jeff bezos got called the google ceo mark zuckerberg the problem is that the congress folks they're so old that they don't even know the type of questions to ask these big tech guys so these big tech guys are able to navigate around the questions because these senior folks, so let's say 75, 85 years old, they've been a lifelong politician. They want to regulate big tech, but they don't know the effective questions to pin them down. Actually, right now, I think the opposite thing is happening where America at least has a very leftist government and they want to use social media platforms as a way to propagate leftism. So they, they want to not just stop censor, censorship, they want to increase censorship. But they want to increase censorship of the right in the sense that if you take the vaccine, the whole thing with the vaccines, the government was essentially, what's the word for it, using these social media platforms and they were making them ban people who disagreed with their vaccine narrative. So the government would actually, they had a department or something, I'm not sure. But if you spread, quote-unquote, misinformation about the vaccine, quote-unquote, misinformation, which turned out to be true information, then the government would notify the social media company and the social media company would ban you. 
So now we have a government that is actually pro-censorship. It's not, I don't see the whole fairness thing happening anytime soon, at least not under this government. And we have a government which is very pro-censorship right now, and it's unlikely to regulate social media. They hate Elon Musk because Elon Musk's Twitter doesn't listen to the government as much as the old Twitter used to. Mm. Do you see Twitter getting better since Musk took over? It is getting better already, actually. Um, It's much better than it was last year. Mm-hmm. And you can say things without worrying about getting banned. So in all of 2022, 2021, I refrained from calling all the people who got the vaccine morons because I'm like, wait a minute, this tweet is not worth getting my account banned. Yeah. And now I can say a lot of things that I could not say before without the fear of getting banned. So yes, Elon Musk's Twitter is definitely better than the old Twitter. Don't you the do it in a way? Th- mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. The only thing is that it's it's a little he's too volatile. So he made the API price forty two thousand dollars. So if you want to build an application on Twitter, you need to have forty two thousand dollars a month. So it's impossible to build on Twitter now unless you have like unless you are a big company or have VC funding. So some of his business decisions I don't agree with, but he seems to be doing a good job. Other than that, what are your thoughts? Thus far, I've noticed similar things. I, I see different content that would have gotten banned before uh, still showing up on my feed. One thing they do need to fix, from my humble opinion, is the what's happening section. You know, the where it shows the latest news. Where mm-hmm. before, that was a sought-after piece of real estate where you could stay updated with current news. Nowadays, it's always the same shit. They don't update it. They don't change it. And that's untapped potential right there in terms of being a creator on twitter i mean i'm not i'm not aware of their algorithm or such but i have noticed a lot of uh, accounts blowing up out of the blue moon while a lot of other accounts they're shockingly being having their reach reduced so it's too early to tell i mean everyone says that musk's twitter is better but I don't know if it's better. I think it's improved in certain sections, but it's gotten worse in other sections. I agree with you there. It's definitely gotten worse in some sections. You know, regarding the whole what's happening section, I really do not want to see the news. So I had set my location to Angola. So it was always <laughs> blank. <laughs> do you have certain words that you block? Chat GPT. Chat GPT. That's, those are the type of content I will see on my newsfeed nowadays chat gpt has these potentials that you're missing out on uh, every single guy is tweeting about chat gpt it's so annoying i mean does (laughs) everybody lost their mind can't you make your own content why does everyone need to use chat gpt people are very uncreative with their content and and that's what social media rewards they want to see that there's already demand and once there's demand other people see that there's demand and then they plug themselves in and they just keep that demand going. But if you have a unique idea, it being unique automatically means that there's no demand yet, but that doesn't get enough reach. That's where I somewhat respect TikTok, where TikTok is more liberal in terms of allowing content to pop off. It doesn't need pre-existing demand. It could be something unique and it could suddenly 
pop off. Yeah, I don't know much about TikTok given that I can't use it in India. Mm. But what are your thoughts on that platform? How many followers do you have? I just started it recently. I haven't been consistent with it. But in terms of a consumer, I could definitely see why people get addicted to it. Because if you're an outsider that doesn't use TikTok at all, you think that this is just a platform where people are doing stupid dances. But let's say you're using it every now and then, it starts to get smarter with you, uh, where it starts to suggest the content that you like to watch. So let's say you'd like to watch content on history stuff. You'll randomly get suggested these snippets of history documentaries that you never had a clue existed. Uh, let's say you like to watch uh, people um, arguing with the police officers. I don't know why. Every now and then, I like watching content like that. Just a strong argument. So I'll watch it. And these type of videos are banned on YouTube, but you'll find it on TikTok. So a lot of content that's banned on other platforms, you'll suddenly see it on TikTok. So my opinion regarding TikTok has changed dr drastically. I believe if you use it smart and you view it as entertainment, you're not saying that this is law, but you view it as entertainment. I believe it's more entertaining than a platform like Twitter, for example. Mm. I could see why people get addicted to TikTok, but I don't see why people get addicted to Twitter anymore. Do you think TikTok might get banned in the US? They're trying to get it banned, right? They are. And it's a difficult thing to get banned, man, because it's not certain stuff are propaganda, but other stuff, it's so freaking random. You'll, you'll see the most random things about animal documentaries, about... Uh, debates, boxing matches and such. So I don't know. They have to get precise with their language in terms of what are you trying to ban? Are you trying to ban propaganda? And then they need to make a strong case for a lot of propaganda uh, being pushed in the algorithms where if that's the type of rabbit hole you find yourself in, the algorithm is just going to give you more of that. But if you escape and you find something else, the algorithm is just going to give you that. So it really comes down to debunking the algorithm. I think that the reason for ban is that the amount of data TikTok collects is insane. So it can read all of the files on your phone, all of oh. your contacts, all the images, all mm -hmm. the documents. And not just, not just that it has permissions for that. When you make a TikTok video, you are sending it a video of the surroundings you are in. And since everybody is using it, they can actually build like a 3D you know, what's a 3D model of the entire USA, including all the roads, where the trees are, where the houses are, who lives where, and things like that, which can be used in a later war or to attack people or to kill people by the CCP or something like that. Hmm. And of course, it's definitely probably being used to steal documents from your phone. Okay, so you, so why did they ban it from India again? For those reasons? Yeah, for those reasons, yes. So how do you have a TikTok? I have a VA in Africa who uses TikTok and I have him manage it for me. So what we are doing with TikTok is we're just taking my tweets, turning it into a video and posting it on TikTok. And I got to 20,000 followers on TikTok in just a couple of months doing literally nothing except having my tweets turn into videos. 
And now we're building a SaaS company that's just going to do that. It's going to take your tweets, turn it into video, put it up on TikTok and, you know, Instagram reels and everywhere else. So you can get a bunch of free growth. Wow. Interesting. Uh, new SaaS company or you've been working on it for a while? New SaaS company. It's We've been working on it for like 10 days now. And yeah, we would love to have you or Manas a client. Mm, like, okay. It would be really cool if you sign up. <laughs> definitely keep uh keep that in mind do you are you getting the lessons from the last SaaS company you started and applying it to this s company or is it completely different oh yeah there are definitely lessons the main lesson is to actually launch the software much faster and get people's feedback as opposed to you know taking six months to make it and then launch it and then people say okay so all of these features that you built we don't use anymore or we don't use and the features that we need, can you build them now? So this time we're going to build like the minimum stuff first, then launch it and see what people want, then build more. It's just better this way. Saves time. Right. The, the, the continuous feedback. The, yeah, the continuous feedback loop as opposed to sitting and building everything that we think the customer needs mm-hmm. and then launching it. This this seems to be a leaner approach. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I noticed recently you had some, I would say drama, but you had an encounter with Gumroad. Not exactly an encounter, but their fees have become so crazy and they're getting too greedy, if you ask me. When, first of all, they raised $5 million to grow the company. Mm-hmm. Secondly, they raised their fees to 15%. So, you know, they're making plenty of money. At this point, they're making like $2 million a month in profit, which is plenty of money for growth. And now, instead of actually growing the company, they're talking about giving out dividends. Why did you raise money in the first place? You didn't raise it to give out dividends, right? You raised money to grow the company, so grow the company. And instead of growing the company, they're doing things that shrink the company. They're being too, what's the word for it, nitpicky. You know, penny-pinching type people where earlier, if you buy a product from me and I refund you, you would get the full amount back and I would not be charged a fee. Now what's going to happen is that if you say buy a $100 product from me, Gumroad is going to charge 15%. And if I refund you, Gumroad will give you your $100 back, but it's going to keep the 15% fee. So I'm going to be at negative $15. Losing money. Yeah, losing money on a refund. And losing 15% on a refund is insane. So Gumroad has gone crazy and at this point i don't see the point of using it like this is just not like they've become shameless and i don't think that i would like to do more business here Mm. i I do not support this business practice of just charging for every single small thing especially when you're making that much money and when your competitors are not charging all of those charges so the reason i stayed on with gumroad after their high fee was goodwill that they had built with me over a long period of time but now with these whole pricing hikes and this whole penny pinching thing, you know, where you, when you do a refund, you lose 15%, really? At this point, how can someone sell a $500 product on Gumroad? Because if you refund it, you lose like a hundred bucks. Yeah. And some people will buy the product and immediately refund it. They'll steal the content, take the pictures, whatever, then they'll refund it. It just it's just a dumb move on Gumroad's part. And after I called them out on Twitter, 
they removed the notice on their website that tells people if, when they do a refund that you know they'll keep the fee but they still keep the fee <laughs> on their documentation it says they still keep the fee but they just don't tell you anymore so you don't get pissed off at them did they communicate this message beforehand or did they no, just no they didn't they, they just introduced this change they didn't even they didn't even email about it because they know it's going to piss people off and now since people are noticing and it's pissing them off they removed the notice that tells people that this is happening and they're doing it anyway so that's so unfortunate yeah man gamro has decided to commit suicide i don't want to be there for the journey and i'm not paying for refund fees so i'm looking for i'm actually shifting to a different platform now it's called whoop whoop.io whoop yeah whoop w h o p okay whoop.io mm-hmm. and uh, probably even lemon squeeze yeah my i have to try out a different platform to see what works best for my use case but man i am sick and tired of gumroad just is they're just being too penny pinchy i don't really get it i think you know if this was like a ultra cheap loss making company i would get it you know it's like you know mcdonald's charging you one extra rupee for ketchup yeah right. fine i get it charge me a rupee for ketchup it's annoying as hell but i know you guys need it you broke motherfuckers <laughs> but gumroad after their 15% fee they're still pulling this bullshit come on man like have some shame what happens with a lot of these companies is that they've been working for let's say 6 7 years losing a lot of money and by the time they see that they can make money they want to squeeze as much as they can i wonder if that's what's happening i don't know i think so because he is literally squeezing as much as he can Mm. We're not really building any features because it's been three months since they raised their fees to fifteen percent on sales, which is insanely high. He hasn't built any features that I use except for the PPP pricing, the regional pricing thing. Right. Like he's building features that are like you know adding an accountant role to the Gumroad profile. How does that help me make money? Like how does adding an accountant role help me make any extra money? Right. Why don't you add features that I actually need and I've been asking for for years like you know tracking the link you know tracking where the customer is coming from making the sales page beautiful you know letting me add color on the sales page like I can't even add color on the sales page on Gumroad you know bundling products bundle discounts and things like that these are simple things even like you know collaborated payments you and I create a product we sell it on Gumroad and the payment gets spread between us too all of these simple features they haven't added months are going by and they're working on stupid things like accountant roles accountant roles yeah i mean i don't i don't see any use for that yeah it has no use whatsoever i don't know what they're thinking or what they're smoking but did, i have lost you, confidence in this company do you ever think of purely owning your products let's say by using woocommerce i don't want to do that I think that I tend to update my products regularly. I add new content in there and delivering it repeatedly to new to older customers is going to be a hassle. Mm-hmm. So I need some kind of solution. I think Lemon Squeezy or Whoop is the way to go. Or even PayHip. I'll have to check all three out, see the best one. But for now I'm trying out Whoop. It's annoying when you're working with a company, they're initially having your 
goodwill and there's that synergistic bond and then something goes on where they change directions and now it's work on you to find another company because i'm sure you've been doing your research and all of that see i would be happy to pay them the 15% if they were building and if they had the features that were worth 15% of revenue but they don't they aren't they aren't building any features they're just like i don't know what they're doing but they're not building anything months are going by and nothing that actually makes me money is being built even their email marketing s- software they haven't made any changes to it in years i think it has no analytics it has no customizability and unless you have like a list smaller than 100 i don't see why you would use gumroad's email you would just use convertkit right so yeah man it's it's not worth 15% it's not it's worth like 5% of sales and they're charging three times as much and they're doing all this penny pinching nonsense where charging for refunds mm-hmm. i do not think it's worth the price gumroad needs to go back to the basics where in 2019 i believe that was their golden era where tons of creators had goodwill with gumroad they were shouting out gumroad Uh, and there was that nostalgia effect that we were talking about before where tons of individuals built uh, their first product on Gumroad and made their first 100 bucks so for you to throw that down the trash requires a lot of changing in directions that the initial people that supported you aren't rocking for i lost faith in gumroad in 2020 you know why why because if you type in armani talks in the search bar you know what's the first product that pops up let me try what's the first product that pops up at me okay well don't do it right now because it doesn't matter where back then your product your product pops up number one for armani <laughs> talks's keyword <laughs> what bullshit is that i love life money more than anyone but the fact that someone is searching my name and they don't get my products initially that's a slap in the face so i thought that's what they were going to be working on all this money that you're getting invest in the correct search if someone is typing in a certain keyword for a particular creator and they're being given a different creator's product that should be a priority that you fix because your job in the platform is to help users make effective purchase decisions you could have that discoverability feature later on for life math money's products but for my product my name allow my products to come up so that's when i decided okay i need to expand outside of gumroad and i'm pretty sure a lot more people are thinking like that now as well i think the reason my products were coming up first was because i had a review from you probably but see that's still a problem though wouldn't you think where it doesn't matter if my name is in your listing page there should be certain favorability for the actual creator when that search term is coming up if you had told me this earlier i would have just removed that review or <laughs> altered it a little bit or turned it into an image so it would not get indexed by search uh, man i don't care man because that doesn't solve the root cause it's just puts a bandaid on an amputated arm the real problem is that gumroad needs to fix the search features so get that money and fix the important things rather than focusing on the things that aren't helping your creators or the users out 
anyway fair that makes sense i'm not sure how much of their sales come from people using the search bar i i don't know but i don't get that many sales from the discover feature that they have oh you so don't probably not that many i get like maybe 5 or maybe not even 5 maybe 3% of my sales from gumroad discover 1 in 30 sales so, so that's probably, something they should be working on helping <laughs> people find new products that they should be interested in it's actually something that they should be working on they could do things like if you buy something from gumroad then you get like an email every single month about all the new products on gumroad or something like that you know mhm mm definitely something book, they can work on that's how my book speakeasy gets a lot of sales on amazon typically someone is searching for this other book i think it's called conversation starters or something like that and th they have this feature that says you'll also be interested in and then it promotes my book so that's a great way to help create a synergistic deal where the other person is thinking oh whoa that that's an interesting book that i initially didn't know about how about i purchase it and me i get a sell so if gumroad got creative like that there's still potential for them because they still have so much goodwill that uh, they just need to innovate their way out of this have you lost all faith in them or do you still have faith in them i don't know where i stand i think that they are headed in the wrong direction and they're halfway through that already and for me for now at least i'm going to list on a different platform still keep gumroad around not delist my products there but mostly promote a different platform that is cheaper has fairer rules regarding refunds and you know see where see where that takes me okay well gumroad hopefully i still have faith in you i think you guys will eventually make the right decisions uh, my constructive criticism and i mean no harm is first fix your search bar whenever people are searching for certain keywords make it refined two create a discoverability feature because people like to discover products that they never knew about they like it when they're searching one product and then they're seeing another product that could potentially help them so work on that and then three what harsh said is make the landing pages more beautiful i mean it seems literally just like a word document right now and i'm thinking that's what gumroad is going for because they like that simple feature so if that's what they're going for that's fine but work on the first two the search and discoverability see for a 15% share of revenue i don't know about you but for most bigger creators it comes out to $100,000 $50,000 dollars a year paid to gumroad in fees and for $100,000 a year you expect much better features much better services a much better email marketing system and you expect the whole nine yards you don't expect a software which is deleting the images on your sales page every 3 days you don't expect a software where you can't add color to your sales page you don't expect a software where you can't even bundle your products mm -hmm. and things like that so the fees are insane the features are minimal i don't see the point in using it for the long run at least at this point right and i mean the whole nickel and diming thing is shameless you know it's like charging 1 rupee for the plastic bag 1 rupee for ketchup 1 rupee for mustard <laughs> What are you doing? You guys are making this much money. You guys are charging us a hundred thousand dollars a year to use your platform. 
why why are you trying to do this right why why exactly man anyways let me uh, let's talk about something else so a couple of months back you brought up this uh, concept called quiet quitting do you remember i remember <laughs> i have a, quite a few friends who started doing that i think you brought it up though i did i okay uh, well there's a new concept called quiet hiring have you heard of that no tell me more so a lot of companies instead of hiring outside resources training them and all of that they're getting their pre-existing employees and giving them additional responsibilities that's called quiet hiring interesting speaking of employees how is the economy in your country right now and the economy is not doing well things are increasing in price and a lot of people are nickeling and diming in terms of salary i mean and in addition to that the whole uh, where people got the taste of work from home now they want that to be the baseline but a lot of companies are getting these employees to go back into the office so that's causing a problem and now they're saying i'll come back to the office if you pay me more and a lot of the employers are saying nope you're going to get exactly what you got before so uh, with the rise in prices and the stagnation of uh, income salary it, it's making the economy an issue do you think that companies are only calling employees into work just so that the employee quits and they don't have to fire them possibly i i really do think they just want people back in the office for whatever reason that they can't even articulate themselves if the people are capable of doing the job at home what's the issue but a lot of these guys i've noticed from having first hand conversations at least with my friends it's just a pride thing where they're uh, the managers are saying well we're coming to the office our employees need to as well so it's not a logical decision it's more so an emotional decision for a lot of these tech companies though like facebook amazon i do believe that the sole reason people are being called to office is that a lot of people have moved outside of the city that they were living in and now these people will quit and because they have quit they will not need to be fired pay the severance etc and you know the bad publicity with layoffs is much lower because these guys quit they didn't get laid off mhm that's but i've heard that's the, a likely theory i've heard the economy there is getting worse and worse day by day i came across this let me show you something so share screen and window so this is the m2 money supply chart and for the first time in 60 years this is falling so the amount of money in the us economy is going down oh, this wow. means that the interest rates that they're raising it's make, making people buy so many bonds that the amount of cash in the system is actually reducing after a long time of printing money this means that demand is going to curtail even more unemployment is going to increase more and things are going to be worse for people in the next 3 to 6 months hmm i could definitely see a case being made for that what do you think happens from this well because there's less money in the economy what happens is people have less money in their pockets to spend 
which means that they spend less money, which means sales across the plat across the whole nine yards goes down. And when sales goes down, profits go down. Pro when profits go down, layoffs happen, which leads to even less money in the economy. People willing to spend even less. And of course, this is being done to curtail inflation because when all of these things happen, prices cannot rise more. So all of this is being done to put a stop to inflation. But this is, of course, going to lead to slaughtering of the middle class. Essentially, people having no money, stagnant wages, rising unemployment, and a serious recession. You could say it's a it's a very serious recession going to happen, or is happening right now. Wow, is that something that's affecting you guys as well? Not me that much because my business is online, but in India, not as much indian economy is doing much better than the western economy but yeah it's going to start affecting everybody mm. and you're talking about the the economic side one thing i'm also curious at times about is the emotional side where stuff like that what you just described makes people impulsive and it makes people do things that they never thought they'd do before where uh, a lot of individuals have uh, from what i've been noticing as of late is a lot of duis are happening and it's not just in the west it's a global thing where i've just been hearing a lot more about duis so that indicates to me that a lot more people are drinking and when you're struggling with money issues that's what causes a lot of these addictions and drinking in the first place and there's this cascading effect and i saw this spooky video recently and i'm pretty sure you're going to see it too because it's going viral i can't find it at this moment but it's a girl that got this dui and she's young she's around at least 25 and she's wasted right and then the cop comes to her from his body cam and from the body cam he says so you just killed two people and she's just drunk she's like yeah, no no am i in trouble not understanding how serious of an issue this is. And the guy says, again, did you hear me? You killed two people. The two people that your car strike died. And she just couldn't tell. And now once she sobers up, she realizes that her life's ruined at this point. It's viral. Her family's going to find out. Her family's going to get questions in regards to this. So it's one of those things that I've been noticing. A lot more people are drinking, uh, driving, and causing a lot of mayhem. And I wonder how much mm. it's tied to your recession uh, theory. Interesting. You think, I you don't think know. there's a tie? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought about it hard enough to comment on it right now. Mm -hmm. But it's plausible. It's definitely plausible. But then again, this type of thing, it's like an isolated incident. It's not. It's not something that keeps happening. So... Once again, I'm not sure. Yeah. But man, that sucks for the two people who got killed because of this drunk chick. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things, man, where once you start to get older, you realize how, especially in our community, how uncles and aunties talk, where let's say the kid does something good, the uncles and aunties are going to find out. And if they do something bad, the uncles and aunties are going to find out. 
I wonder how other cultures are like that as well. Is that a similar thing where they have this uncles and aunties squad that serves as a little media company within their geographic location? Because with this girl who just got this DOI, she's going viral. I'm sure her family and their family, everyone's going to find out. And her actions aren't just affecting her anymore. It's affecting her family. Hmm. I don't know how other cultures are about this. I think they care lesser. Like Indians and Chinese are more, what's the word for it? Cohesive socially, as opposed to say white people. Mm-hmm. Do you but, ever get? Do you ever get lectured by uncles and aunties? Not particularly. Not me. I'm I'm too old for that. You're the golden child, man. <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard of a thing called, you ever heard of a thing called the tiger mom no i have not tell me more so the tiger mom a chinese mother who re- relentlessly drives her child to study hard without regard for the child's social and emotional development so this is apparently a big thing in the the chinese culture where a lot of these parents are hardcore disciplining their kids so these kids are brilliant in terms of academics but then eventually over time it causes some emotional damage tiger man man. i know the type of person you're talking about where the kid becomes like a complete idiot in social circumstances can't talk to anybody is socially awkward as hell can't talk to women and you know work some kind of job that pays well but lives like a lackluster life in general Mm-hmm. always afraid of the family it's like that back when i was in high school i used to watch this tv show called the big bang theory i think that it had a character <laughs> like this he was an indian guy and i remember thinking why are they like shitting on us indians like this <laughs> the but big bang theory. that's what he reminds me of like right the guy can't speak to women and he's like just a weirdo and it's just like a it's a shitty thing to do to a kid, you know. It's like turning your kid into a slave. My thing is, how aware are these parents that that's going to happen? From their worldview, I'm assuming they think they're doing the right thing. I think some of these parents are just like crazy. They don't care about the child, really. They just want the status of having a high achiever kid. Right. My kid is a high achiever. You know, he kicks everyone's ass at sports. He gets a lot of grades. <laughs> Like, dude, your kid is about to kill himself. Who cares Were about your, that? Who cares about that? You got straight A's. Were your parents like that? Were they super strict in terms of school grades when you were young? My parents were super lenient, actually. They weren't strict, strict, but they wouldn't like, they wouldn't bother me too much. But they would still, yeah, monitor my grades. The thing is, my parents, my mom and dad, they aren't like very properly educated, right? So they did value education because in edu- if you are educated, you can make a lot of money. But because they themselves were not well-educated in English, they didn't really know a lot of what I was studying. So to teach me, they would have to learn it themselves and then teach me. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it just got too hard and I was just doing it by my own. You have school six times out of the week, correct? Five times. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I heard it's six days and only Sundays are off, but it's five times. 
it's five times and i remember that you know i would love fridays back when i was in school i would have this thing where i would really like friday evenings because then there would be saturday and sunday off and mm-hmm. sunday evenings i would start to get depressed i'm like oh man oh sunday. yeah <laughs> <laughs> did you guys have a school bus we used to have a school bus yes did you sit in the back with the cool kids no i was the nerdy hard working serious kid was that a thing where the cool kids sat in the back not yeah sort of what about you did you have a school bus i had a school bus and i recall man it was just a it was a strange time because being in the school bus helps you reassess your identity where for a long time i was sitting by myself right i was sitting by myself listening to music and i liked that but every now and then i used to think how come i'm not getting invited to the back of the bus where all the cool kids are uh and then a couple of years goes on by and one day uh, one of my good friends paul he says hey armani come sit with us in the back of the bus so now uh, i'm thinking okay well let me go i i'm thinking i've arrived i'm this cool guy so i'm over here sitting with the back Uh, and they're all talking cracking jokes and such i'm thinking this is overrated i thought this was the 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 back of the bus this was the cool thing to do but it was highly overrated and then while i was being surrounded with these people i was thinking i really just want to sit back in the front and listen to my music so it was one of those <laughs> <laughs> it, it was one of those times where it makes you evaluate your identity Mm. You would never How think are your that. parents like? How are your parents like? Were they strict? Well, yeah, in terms of going out, we weren't we were typically going to our friends uh, our our family friends' house. So, in terms of social aspects, that's what we did outside of school. Now, with school, yes, uh, grades were pretty important. But I'm pretty sure at an early age, uh, my parents realized, all right, this Armani guy, he's not the best school kid. my brother was great in terms of school where i would study my butt off but i would get average test scores but at least they saw that i was trying uh, so they were trying to be strict but they weren't as strict with me versus my brother and another I thing that they gave up on you They're like this guy can't do shit <laughs> well another thing that helped were my cousins so my brother was getting compared with uh, uh like hit the cousins in his age group and the cousins in his age group were geniuses they used to get perfect scores on the sats 4.0 gpas getting accepted to harvard and stuff so my brother's bar was high up there were the cousins my age uh, they weren't the brightest let's just say it like that so i was getting co- compared to them and uh, uh, in comparison to them i looked pretty smart so you'll often see that happen where you get compared to other kids in your age group I know what you mean I know what you mean see it's one of those things right where your parents don't really have they don't really know what to compare you to like they have no basis of knowing if you're doing well or not mm-hmm. and the only way they know you're doing well is if you're doing better than other kids or not so they have to compare you but as a kid it's, it's not fun to get compared like that no not at all and it could play it's it's just a part of the culture within a lot of desi families where they compare one another uh but 
it could play a role in the future where you're thinking, oh, well, this person has this. What about me? And eventually down the line, kids begin to do that to their parents where they'll say, this person's mom did this for them. What about me? You didn't do this for me. So they start to play the same games with their parents. You know what I've realized? Hmm. Back when I was a kid, I would actually, you know, think that, okay, so this is something that my mom and dad did wrong, or this is something that they should have done. But now when I think about it, I'm like, wait a minute. So when I was born, my mom was 20 years old. When I was eight years old, my mom was 28. So she when she, she was my age when I was seven, eight years old. And do I know everything right now? No. Would I make mistakes raising a seven, eight-year-old kid right now? I would. So how can I expect my mom to know better, given that she was just a high school graduate, didn't know any better, grew up in a village in India, didn't have nearly as much exposure to things that I do, and was much poorer than me, like literally much poorer, living off of $50, $60 a month. So... When I think about it now that I have some more wisdom, I'm like, wait, a minute, I can't blame my parents for anything. They just didn't know any better. Mm. Like their resources, their exposure, it was all limited. They tried their best and this is how far they got. And any mistakes mm. they made, they were genuine mistakes. They didn't intend on making those mistakes. They just did not. They lacked the ability to not make those mistakes. Given that my mom was 20 when I was born, that's crazy. Like, How many 20-year-olds are moms nowadays? None. That's rare. Well, back then it wasn't that rare, but nowadays it's super rare. It's super rare. Like Nowadays, girls don't even get married at 25, 26. Mm-hmm. So being a mom at 20, it was pretty common back then. But you can't really blame a 22, 23, 24, 25-year-old for making a mistake when raising a child, you know, it's normal. They don't know everything. When mm-hmm. I was 25, I didn't know everything at all. Like I was much, I wasn't ready to raise a kid at 25. At least I don't think so. Right. Do your mom and dad have a pretty big age cap? About eight, nine years, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at what age was your perspective shifting where you understood your parents' perspective more? I would say last year, maybe when I was 25, 26 myself, last last year, last year, pretty recent, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have that rebel face? What do you mean? Where you were the problem child, you were getting in trouble, you're, you were causing your pe- parents a lot of headaches. Not really, not really. I wasn't a problem child. The thing is that I, if I wanted to do something that my parents did not want me to do, I would just do it and not tell them. Mm-hmm. Beg for forgiveness later. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, hope that they never find out. <laughs> did you ever sneak out? No, did you? Man, my mom listens to this podcast. <laughs> I no, no. Growing up, it happened before where I would sneak out. But nowadays, man, when I went home this last time, I go uh, leave in the morning to pick up an energy drink, right? I leave at 7 or 4, or 7.45 in the morning. By the time I come back, some hours goes on by. It's eventually the afternoon. And my mom asks, so uh, where did you go at 7.45 in the morning? 
I'm thinking, how the hell did you know? And nowadays, most uh, parents, they have a thing called Ring. Have you ever seen Ring? No. That home surveillance system? We don't have them here, thankfully. I'm pretty sure you guys do have it there, dude. Google it, Ring. Whatever. Um, It's this camera that you put on your door. So nowadays, uh, for the new up-and-comers that are trying to sneak out of their house, it's so much more difficult. Man, at this rate, people are going to put one of those, you know, Apple AirTags on their kids. Just track them <laughs> where they're going. I know, I know a lady that does that. So she is a car mechanic. She's 40 years old. And she put a tracker on her son's car. So she can monitor him wherever he goes. And he doesn't know about it. Oh man, what's her name? Oh, <laughs> In case the son is listening. <laughs> hey kid, we're trying to give you an out. <laughs> <laughs> so you never snuck out on the parties, anything like that? It just wasn't possible. We lived in a very small house and my parents were attentive. They knew what I was up to. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I just didn't have permission to go to parties. I didn't go to a party until I was much older in my life. So I, if you've never done something, you don't you don't have the desire to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Did if you've you... n- never done a thing, then you don't crave it. But when you do it the first time, that's in certain acts you build that craving. Did that ever happen with anything for you? When I did something for the first time, uh, yeah, I did, for example, binge eating pizza and things like that. Back mm. in high school, it did happen when I had more freedom than mm. playing video games all day back when I was 14 years old. Yeah. So after I got, say, at a later stage in my you know, adolescence, mm-hmm. my mom and dad, they would let me use the computer for as long as I want, which meant me playing video games day and night. <laughs> <laughs> like an idiot <laughs> wasting all that time that I could have been more productive at but yeah that's what I did back then and mm. it took me a while to quit those things I started my whole self-improvement thing at 16 so before that I was like fucking around a lot what about you? Started you? Early. you started early where most people they don't start their self-improvement until 22 to 25 and i've noticed that as of late uh, nowadays since there's so much information out there people are starting self-improvement way earlier where i could see the good stuff of that but i could also see some bad where i had this 12 year old one time hit me up and he wanted self-improvement books i'm thinking 12 years old i mean i gave him some recommendations but don't you think it's somewhat good every now and then to have little bit of a fuck up stage or are you completely against that see i think that self-improvement is a journey right so when i started self-improving at 16 it wasn't like one day i was fucking around day and night playing video games and next day i was waking up at five lifting weights (laughs) and not doing anything right right it was like a scale so i started lifting weights but i was still playing video games Mm -hmm. i was still eating junk then it took a couple of months maybe like a year and i'm like maybe i should eat healthier then you know maybe i should make better use of my time and over time it 
I changed my life. It wasn't something that happened in a day. Mm-hmm. I think the sooner you start, the better off you will be. And uh, regarding the 12 year old, I will tell you that before all of this nonsense was a thing, the whole video game environment, kids would go to kids would start working at 10 years old, where they would start going to their father's farm, putting in the hours farming or doing whatever else and contributing to the household. It is only now where a 20 year old is like an overgrown child who contributes nothing and is a liability to his family. So I don't think 12 is too early to start. However, in the present social scenario, very few 12-year-olds have the capacity for self-improvement. I think that most people start self-improving after puberty. Once that testosterone starts to kick in, once they are more attracted to women and they're thinking, okay, wait a minute, I'm attracted to women now. So how do I get more women? I should maybe, you know, start working on my appearance. Maybe I should go to the gym and things like that. Before that, you're just too infantile to think about self-improvement for most people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people begin their self-improvement journey after a heartbreak where they thought that they found the one and it didn't work out. And now they're in this sad, pitiful state And that's when they're thinking, how the hell am I going to get out of this state? And that's when they discover something self-improvement related. It could be our side of Twitter. It could be uh, the Power of Now book. It could be something. And that's when they're thinking, okay, I have to do something to get myself out of this painful state. And that's when they began. So that's one thing I've noticed. One of our guests had a similar story, right? Matt Stevens. Oh, Matt. Yeah. That's exactly what happened with him, where he, for our new listeners, uh, this was a bodybuilder that we had on our previous episodes. And he began his bodybuilding journey after a terrifying heartbreak. I mean, he broke his heart and such. But instead of wasting uh, that energy, he channeled it in. So a lot of self-improvement is born from pain, not just I'm going to do it and then I do it. Have you noticed one thing? And this has nothing to do with Matt. I'm not commenting on Matt. I mean, this is a general observation mm-hmm. where people who are too obsessed with being fit, where they're super obsessed with the gym, they tend to be total losers in everything else. I have noticed that. That's where Matt uh, struck me. Matt is an exception. Unique. Matt is yeah. an exception. Yeah, and he was unique because he has this, uh, he was into relationship dynamics and such, which I thought, huh, that's very unique because a lot of people that are hardcore into fitness just care about fitness. Uh, So I have noticed something similar to what you said. And I think a lot of guys go through that. I, I don't know about you, but I went through that phase for a while as well. When I first got to the gym, I mean, I lived, breathed, and ate, uh, muscle milk, (laughs) lifting weights, and taking progress pictures. But after a certain time, I'm thinking, wait a minute, is this something I want to center my life on? Or is this just going to be one part that fuels a bigger vision? I've noticed that people who are obsessive about fitness, where they train every single day for two hours, and Mm -hmm. they're, they're insanely strong. Some of these people can like bench 200, 180 kilos and they're fucking losers in their life. They're like, they make barely any money. They have no knowledge or wisdom. And they're like jealous of everything. 
and they're, to- they're total losers in every other way except for the fact that they lift i've noticed that as a thing where really? bodybuilding and like lifting weights becomes their life as opposed to this is something they do to stay fit and strong to be able to do other things so this guy's entire existence becomes about his looks in other words he's like a woman in a man's body like all he cares about is how he looks mm interesting and that's so counterintuitive because you see this big bulky person and you're thinking this is the symbol of masculinity but you're saying there's the driving forces femininity for a lot of them not all of them obviously but for right. a lot of them mm-hmm. like this has become their life's goal like this is what they live for to be like jacked and they they have nothing else going on in their life Mm-hmm. and that's so sad because this guy has a foundation to do so many things and all he's doing is is doing the foundations yeah and it's similar with those guys that get obsessed with pickup artistry where their entire life is to get laid and if you analyze them if you talk about their past and stuff that driving force is from this massive heartbreak and they're thinking okay well i'm never going to get my heart broken like that again and i'm going to become this casanova not all pickup artists some people do it for a certain stage of their life to understand basic game that they can transfer to other parts but some people they just live to get laid and i'm thinking come on man don't you want to do anything else man the whole pickup artist thing is overkill i think it's fine if you do it for like a year or so but if you dedicate your entire life to having sex <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> like how much sex can you have after a while right after a while your hormones calm down and you want to have kids and actually raise a family not just like sleep with women you don't know i mean some of these guys have 500 to 1000 lays which you would think oh no that's impossible but if you c- center your life around that you could do that absolutely you could do that if you center your life around it that's not that mm-hmm. hard especially right. with the whole tinder thing going on nowadays it's not that difficult mhm you still using bumble no comments <laughs> <laughs> i don't use it anymore i use it for a couple of days but i got bored off of it i don't have time anymore i'm building this new saas company as well so did you hire really. a, did you hire a virtual assistant to do the conversations i had her doing no it comment. for a while yes <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's not that hard to ratch up the numbers nowadays. Especially women are becoming much easier to sleep with. So back say eight years ago, it would you would actually have to go out on dates to sleep with a woman. Now you can be like, just come over, and a mm. good portion of them will will do that. <clears throat> Harsh. That's what you've been doing. No how do you how do you bring girls to your place when? No comments. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's listening to this. <laughs> The trick is to have more than one house. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see. I see. But I don't do it. I don't do these things that much. I don't have the time for it. I I don't want to do hookups. I don't do that many. Mhm. And uh, it takes yeah, time too. Yeah, normally I date girls who live by themselves. So all that problem there. Mhm. I've been noticing a lot of girls living with their parents now which is a major green flag uh from what I've noticed is that something you've been noticing as well 100% yes it's a major green flag major mhm is much less likely to be a whore if she lives with a family mm so 
other than Bumble, have you, uh, you could say no comment as well, but have you tried any of the other dating apps? I have not actually. Have you? I've tried Tinder. I did not like Tinder. It just gave me a weird feeling. I've tried um, this other one. It's called Coffee Meets Bagel. And I noticed that the founder of that platform, Harsh, was on Shark Tank. Shark Tank. Before. Mm-hmm, I watched that mm-hmm. episode, yes. It's a weird platform where you can't just keep right swiping or left swiping, which is the good part. But they give you a thing called bagels. And it's hard to tell why they chose this particular bagel. And if you if you don't resonate with it, then you have to wait another day to get another bagel. So you're pretty much getting one to two options a day. It could be a good thing because it eliminates analysis paralysis, but it's a bad thing because it feels as though they're trying to get you to uh, sign up for their program, uh, to subscribe with them, which I'm assuming is their end goal. But that's another tool that I've tried. I think signing up to the program is definitely their end goal. They want men to sign up because men typically will not get a lot of matches on these platforms. So they pay money for it. So yeah, that's something they really want to do, want you to do. Mm-hmm. Someone also said that when you're joining it for the first time, the algorithm favors you a lot because they want you to keep coming back thinking, oh, this is going to be the norm. Um so I don't know if you noticed that there was an uptick in the beginning, then it started to fizzle out. That's one of their sales techniques. I didn't use it for long enough to make note of that. And there's this but... uh, there's a service for high-end lawyers and doctors where they'll get someone to manage these conversations where you have a virtual assistant for that, but there is a service nowadays, but you need to have a certain amount of income to work with them. Hmm. So they'll manage the conversations. They'll have the basic, uh, what do you do? What do you do for fun? Those sort of conversations handled. And they're taking care of the conversation in a way where you're optimized to get a date. See, this is a nice business idea for anyone who wants to start it. It's simple. It can be done online. And Mm -hmm. people will pay for it. People will pay to help them get laid. They will pay you money, a lot of it. If you can help them sleep with girls. Yeah. And the market that you want to attract is not these, these college kids that barely have any money. You want to target 35 to 45 year olds that are highly successful in their career, but they're not that successful in their relationship life because they have the money. They, they just don't have the time. I agree. Especially I mean, if you think about it, right, from their perspective, especially from a lot of these Western lawyer type perspectives, the ones that I'm aware of, mm-hmm. they pay money to have sex. They they typically pay hookers and they pay good money to get laid with beautiful girls. Right. So they're already paying for it and they will pay you money if you can get it for them. And it's genuine. I'm surprised that's not a service yet. At least it's not mainstream. Putting it out there for anyone who wants to start, this is gonna do well. If you if you know your thing, if you if you have some experience with online dating, you know how to chat with girls, then I would definitely recommend doing this. It's you can make a lot of money for this. Maybe like a thousand bucks a month per client and have like 20 clients. Right. I wonder if in the future we'll have chat GPT that connects to Tinder <laughs> <laughs> and does the chatting for you. 
spooky at times where have you heard of descript i have used it yes yeah so basically if you read this one article that they give you in your voice uh they're going to unlock a feature where you can create text that it'll convert to your voice and i haven't tried it yet but there's this guy named pat flynn on youtube who tried it and it's crazy because it sounds just like him. And sometimes he'll write these nonsensical statements. And in his voice, it's still saying that. So there's potential. It's potential, but it's also, it could be a bad thing too, man. Because here's the thing. Let's say in the future, you could create these artificially um, made videos, right? Let's say there's a video of Harsh beating a woman. And then it, it starts to go viral. In a fantasy world, you will tell your friends and family, hey, this was artificially generated and everyone believes you. But in the real world, once they see something with their eyes, a, a small group will believe you, another group will not believe you, and another group will be unsure, simply based on a lie. And the way that AI is going, you could easily create a video like that in the future. I agree with you. For the short term, but I think over the long run, people will become more cautious. They will become more aware of the fact that a lot of these videos are fake and more, more, most people will not trust a video they see. See, just like nowadays, right? If CNN says something, do you believe it? I don't believe it, but a large group of people still do. They do, but see, <laughs> in 10 years, even those groups of people will not believe it. They just haven't caught on to the fact that CNN is fake news, but they will. And the same thing is going to happen with this thing. Because let's say that today they saw a video of, you know, Donald Trump fucking a goat. And they believe it. Tomorrow mm. they'll see a video of Biden fucking a goat. And they're not going to believe it. And after a while they're going to be like, okay, so these videos that might be fake. And yeah, I think that the overall trust people have in videos is going to go to an all-time low soon. Once AI starts generating all of these videos. Like in images today, right? You mm -hmm. can't differentiate between an AI image and a real image. I've seen uh, some of these pop up on Twitter and you, you think they're real, but then you read the community note saying that this is an AI generated image. Mm. And I'm like, wait a minute, that looks so real. That I would not have thought that was AI generated at all. Right. I've seen those too. They look really real and... I don't trust images anymore. Like if I saw an image of Elon Musk clapping someone, I would, for my first thought would be AI generated. Yeah, but see, that's a very bold example. But let's say it's a subtle example where Elon curses out a reporter, but in the real interview, he didn't curse him out. But you win someone's context over. You're making it seem as though that the interviewer was asking these heated questions. And now the believability factor of Elon Musk cursing the interviewer out increases. And even if it's proven as a fake, I believe if the context is there, a lot of people are going to still fall for it. I agree with you there. I think that it's going to help fake news spread. Mm -hmm. But I could see wars starting over this, man. No, not wars starting over this. I think that I people uh, are wise enough. 
I, I hope I, so. I, think... <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> You're giving people too much credit. Man, I can see a war starting over this where it's like at least not not like an actual nuclear war, but familial wars where someone makes up an AI image of you know being with someone else's wife and the guy doesn't believe that it's an AI image. But what if he does believe it? What if hypothetically this person is messaged a video of a bunch of fake texts of his wife chatting with another man and then he gets a fake video. Now his presupposition after seeing the text plus the video together increases the likelihood of him believing whatever exactly. this fake that's content what I'm is saying. saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's that's a like type of conflict I can see happening from this. Where someone makes an AI video of, say, fucking someone else's wife, sends it to the husband, and the husband doesn't believe it's AI video. He believes it to be real. Right. And that type of bullshit I definitely see happening. Oh, yeah. And let's say it's a famous fitness influencer, and you're trying to blackmail him, and he already has a large audience that despises him. Let's say he does cringe stuff in his videos, and now you create fake content on him, there's already a group of people that will are eagerly willing to believe anything negative, be it truth or lies. So I really do think it's going to cause problems in that regards, unless they find some sort of tag to say, hey, this was artificially generated. I think in the future, we'll have AI whose entire job would be to mark images that were generated by AI, but those will not be perfect. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how things go from here. Like we just don't know, right? All of this is just speculation. It's crazy uh, how we... how often uh, people will predict stuff like this from thirty to forty years ago. I was watching this Bill Gates lecture, uh, and he made this lecture in nineteen ninety seven or so, and he was predicting a lot of this stuff. Uh, he was talking about how people are going to have a white collar assistant in the future. He talked about this crazy idea that I'm surprised isn't out. He said, why does the mirror just show you your image back? Why doesn't the mirror show you images of you trying different clothes, of you having a different haircut that you could screenshot and show to your barber and such? There's so much wasted real estate on the mirror that I believe in the future is going to be fixed. Again, mm, that's mm, what a smart idea. <laughs> I never thought of that. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy because Bill Gates nowadays is, you could say, the top 10 most hated men on the planet. But in 2002, he was viewed as that OG. When you thought of a business tycoon, you thought of Bill Gates. Yeah, man, the guy is reduced to selling, you know, injections and, you know, grasshopper meat and shit like that. Like, what a fucking weirdo. Right. It's crazy because in 2002, I believe he was worth $18 billion and he was the world's richest man. And I recall people saying, can you believe it? A man is worth $18 billion in our lifetime. <laughs> and it's crazy because that seems so small compared I know, to right? nowadays. <laughs> $18 billion is nothing now. Can't even buy right? coffee. <laughs> <laughs> man. <laughs> Who's the richest? I heard he guy? got divorced now. Yeah, from Melinda Gates. What happened to them? So there was some talk that he had this relationship with Epstein, and Melinda Gates wasn't fond of that. And apparently that played a big role in his divorce. 
Oh, do you think Bill Gates was sleeping with kids? Hey man, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does sell people on injections and ask people to eat grasshopper meat. He seems like a depraved person to me. I have no comments on any other thing. He got married pretty late. I believe he got married at age 39 and he was working on his business up until that point. And when you're working on one part of your life a lot and you have power, let's say you're the world's richest man, I think in the back of his mind he's thinking, "Man, I did not get laid at all." Because I'm pretty sure he wasn't sleeping with a lot of these girls. So once he got married, uh I heard that he used to flirt with a lot of his employees and he had other affairs and this is all just hearsay uh, but i wonder what that played a role in where you're so rich you're so one focused and then boom you're married i wonder if that desire to be with other women was still there and that led to the divorce hmm i don't know i can't speculate but uh- If I was married to someone who was forcing people to eat grasshoppers then I would want a divorce. But the thing is Melinda Gates I believe was aware of that part of his life because he was this tycoon with Microsoft and then suddenly he changes his career uh, to predominantly focusing on the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I think him getting married changed his the trajectory because before what the talks that we're having with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos being so rich we were having these conversations with Bill Gates you see so imagine Elon Musk stops being an entrepreneur and just starts doing charitable acts so the the thing is that Bill Gates meeting Melinda Gates changed the trajectory of his career from being this hardcore entrepreneur to focusing more on charity work so these stuff that you're making fun of him for with the grasshopper bait and stuff I think Melinda Gates played a big role on that. Oh man. Ta- I don't think 15 years ago you're thinking that Bill Gates is going to be in this line of work. I see what you mean. You know this is one thing I like Jeff Bezos a lot for. He doesn't fuck around with all this charity stuff. He's like, I'm here to make some money. <laughs> But the charity. I heard that change recently, man. I heard he's very focused on charity. Is he? What happened to him? What he got divorced to too, didn't he? He got divorced but he met another woman. And I noticed that typically happens. Uh these guys will be hardcore entrepreneurs for a certain period. Then they'll get in a relationship later on in their life and they become more charitable. I think the whole charity thing is a bit of a farce just to improve their PR. Mm. I mean the latest video of Jeff Bezos that was out was 5 months ago Amazon founder Jeff Bezos says he'll give away his wealth I don't know he doesn't run with charity <laughs> sorry <laughs> but nobody doesn't do it like you never hear about <laughs> Jeff Bezos doing some charity stuff <laughs> he had this one time where there was this forest fire i think in australia or canada australia and he gave away a very low amount of money compared to his standards i think it was $175,000 <laughs> like fuck you. People were shitting on him. <laughs> I think you doing whatever the hell you did to build your billions, that's a charity in some ways. Where Steve Jobs working on Apple, 
my thing is keep working on Apple, dude. Lower the prices of your products more, innovate more. That's your form of charity. Bill Gates, he should have followed that playbook. He should have stayed as the head honcho of Microsoft, kept innovating, building new stuff. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we would have had AI 10 years sooner rather than switching careers, doing these foundations. And I mean, I heard he has helped in terms of malaria and stuff in places like Africa. Uh, do you know anything about his foundation? Not really, but what's up with Africa, man? Why do they have so much poverty still? Do they still have a lot of poverty? Sub-Saharan Africa, yes. Saharan Africa, not as much. But Sub-Saharan Africa is like really, really bad where they have a lot of disease, a lot of rape, and a lot of illiteracy, poverty, and a lot of fighting going on. Mm. So it's a terrible place to live at from what I've heard and what I've heard from people who live there on Twitter. Now, of course, I could be wrong. Turns out on Twitter, you get a lot of these exceptional stories like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So my impression could definitely be wrong. But it seems like, you know, if you were born, if you had to choose where to be born in the world, picking Africa is like your worst choice. <laughs> Do you ever plan to visit there? I might, but I would need security. I'm not going there without security. Mm. Do you have security nowadays? No comment. No comment? Okay, okay. That's the annoying thing about old school fame, where no matter where you go, you have to walk around with some bouncers, and it, it, you feel like an animal. It doesn't feel free. It depends on the type of, sec on the type of security you have. For example, if you have police or you know, CRPF security, then it feels pretty comfortable mm. in the sense that you don't have to stop in traffic everywhere and it, crowds don't gather around you because people carrying guns are around you. But if you have like regular actor security, it, it depends on how famous you are and what type of fame you have. If you have fame with morons, these low IQ individuals, like you're a film star, then yeah, your life is shit. Mm -hmm. Because everywhere you go, you get like a big ass crowd just trying to see who you are, or what you look like. And so for some dumbass reason, they think seeing you is going to make their day better. <laughs> but if you have, say, if you're some kind of politician or something and you have like men with guns following you around, that doesn't bother you. Politician fame is the worst fame because they want to kill you. The best kind of fame is author fame or coder fame <laughs> if you're a famous coder <laughs> then only geeks follow you and uh, having a wasn't geek there a guy who got cool. stabbed in san francisco because of being a coder oh wait a minute you're talking about the founder of someone right hey can you hear me yeah i can hear you I... hello cash up yeah cash up bobbly man that's unfortunate he that's a brutal way to die yeah, apparently he gets stabbed and he's trying to heal a cab and no one's listening to him. So he just dies there. That's crazy, man. Man. But why do you think that's happening in that part of the world? Like, why is it so bad in California? Why can't you just go where you want to without getting stabbed in California? So California, I've never been there. So let me just say that number one. But number two, for 
my connects that live there, they say that certain parts of California are highly gang infested, where if you want to go, you have to do a thing called check in. Have you heard of that? No. Where you basically have to know someone in the gang to say, hey, I'm coming in your block. Is it cool? And they have to approve. And once they approve, they'll let their other gang members know that this guy is good. So if you don't check in, that's considered disrespect. And whatever happens can happen. You could get beat up. You could get stabbed, whatever. Now, this isn't common in California. It's just in certain communities where it is gang infested. And every now and then, a tourist will come out of the blue moon and they just want to explore California. They want to go to the nitty gritty parts, be like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Not knowing about the gang politics. So that's my theory as to why that's happening. Hmm. Gang Wait, politics. So you have to check in with the gang. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we talked about a while back where we said that rappers are nowadays getting gunned down left and right. And there was this uh, hip hop commentary person who said that being a rapper is the most dangerous job nowadays. And I thought, okay, well, this is bullshit. But real talk, it could be dangerous because as a rapper, you have to check in. Because how do you make music as a rapper? You make songs, plus you make music videos. A lot of the music videos are in hoods. You see, you got to give off that persona that you're about that life. You're a thug. So you're going in these hoods without checking in, and you could get pressed. You could get beat up, killed, whatever. So checking in is a is a concept. Interesting. What are the who are these gang members? What are they made out of? There are different gangs. Where in California before it was uh, the Crips and the Bloods. Uh, Crips predominantly were blue. Bloods predominantly were red. And they they initially started off as a protection uh, because if you didn't uh, have a certain gang, then chances are that you could get beat up and other people can test you. So a lot of people join gangs not only for brotherhood, but for protection. And soon they started to expand in different parts of the U.S. Um, so I'd, So that's how it started. Uh, but nowadays, there's different gangs. There's white gangs. Uh, there's Spanish gangs and much more. When I was living in Virginia, apparently one of the most dangerous gangs lived in the area of Virginia that I was in. I think it was called MS-19. Crazy. Have you ever been in a gang? <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't just join either. You You have to go through a process. I knew a guy that was in a gang, and he said a part of the process was him literally getting beat up by all the gang members. He was getting punched and stuff, and he had to go through that beatdown for five minutes. And prior to that, there's a lot of activities that he needed to do in order to prove himself. This is a tiny gang in West Palm. But if you want to go to a big gang and you want to join them, some make you kill someone in order to join them. What? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure with Bloods and Crips, I don't know if you have to kill someone, but before you had to. And they'll, they'll, will have uh, tier tattoos, right? And the tier tattoos, each tier represents each person that they killed. That's crazy. Yeah. Do you guys have gangs over there? We do, but they're not that bloodthirsty. The gangs here just want to make money. 
So that's what these tear tattoos apparently initially meant. But soon it became a fashion statement. So a lot of these popular celebrities would tattoo a tear on their cheek, not knowing what it meant. Man, let me Google that. Crip tear tattoo. Just type in teardrop tattoos. Teardrop tattoo. Ah, I see it. Ah, so two tattoos means two kills. Something like that, man. You you hear these news all the time, so it's hard to scope through the news. So what's real, what's fake? I mean, how come you... your government doesn't send in the military to clear all these areas out? Just kill them all, wipe them out, bro. That's see that will not work because it's very similar to let's say. Did you ever have a roach infestation in your house? Yeah. Did you? Back a bad one. A long time ago, not a bad one, but I, we did have some cockroaches. We Where, got the hit spray, put it everywhere. Done. But if it's intense, I'm talking. They're all the way in the pores of the woods. They have eggs in the pores of the pores and such. A bug bomb or whatever is not going to do it. You're going to have to have a deeper process in regards to that. So you could kill a lot of the gangs, but what happens is then, what about other places that have these same gangs? But you don't know about it. Some people are in gangs where you would never have a clue. They're professional. Uh, they're dressed up. Uh, they have a great business and such. But they're in a gang. Uh, so it's hard to tell. There's not a local spot where it's, whoa, all the gangbangers are here. Let's kill them. It's more spread out. It's more decentralized. Let's put it like that. So how do these gangs work? Like, what is their objective? Are they trying to make money? Are they trying to just protect the members? Are they trying to kill other members? What is their goals? So a lot of them protect people within their community. Uh, th that's one thing. That's where the mafia and such come in. Other people, they do dirty business where they'll get illegal guns, illegal drugs, distribute that, sell that. And that's a way for them to make an income. Because if you're in a lot of lower um, income places, it's difficult for these folks to get a job the clean way. So they'll typically get blood money. Every now and then what happens is that one of the potential people to join the gang has excellent gifts. Let's say they can play basketball and they can do it well. The gang will say, hey, look, you have a bright future ahead of you. We're going to protect you to make sure that no one gets you down this dark path. We're going to make sure that you end up reaching the NBA, National Basketball Association. So in this situation, the gang is serving as a protection service. So they have different roles. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made it this far. They don't just kill people. Uh, uh, they do that. But another part is that they serve as protection services and job opportunities for these low-income neighborhoods. So they're like the Yakuza. Yakuza? What is that? That sounds familiar. The Japanese mafia. Yeah, it's like that. The Japanese mafia is rich, though. They have a lot of money, I've heard. Mm. Did you ever know a gang member? Not really, not really. See, so, the thing is that I come from a family where gang members are likely to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. 
So I've never had the opportunity to meet one. If anyone's curious more about gang life, there's this book called My Bloody Life, The Making of a Latin King. And Latin kings are a very powerful gang in the US and overseas. And this guy talks about his life joining the gang, the value that is served, and also talked about trying to leave the gang. If you try to leave a gang, that's difficult. So he talks about his ups and downs. My Bloody Life, The Making of a Latin King by Raimundo Sanchez. It's a weird name, Raimundo Sanchez. <laughs> Did you ever meet a Spanish person in person? In person, no, but I do know a couple of Spanish people. One of our co-founders is Spanish. Cool guy. Mm-hmm. What solutions are there to this problem? How can we solve the gang issue in California? How can we solve the gang issue in California? Well, what's happening right now is that a lot of gang members are partnering up with police officers. And you may think, wait a minute, aren't the police officers supposed to be uh, putting the gang members behind jail? Uh, surprisingly, not always. Some gang members, they're more so... A, aspect of wisdom that they're telling the younger generation uh, to, to stay out of trouble and such and they're teaching uh, the younger generation how to partner uh, or how to do well within the community so uh, man that's a difficult question <laughs> i don't know if i have the answer to stopping gang violence in california do you see gangs spreading beyond california to other states maybe to florida Every state has a gang, uh, and they have gangs. Let's just put it like that. Uh, there's gangs in prisons. There's gangs in lower uh, community housing and such. So I don't know if there's a way to completely destroy them. Uh, but I, I think it's more so about seeing is to limit their their attacks. So how do you know who's in a gang? Let's say that. Do, is there a list you can check? All of these are the members of the gang. Please be careful of them. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I really don't know. Um, I did know because all I know in regards to this field are from what I've heard and TV shows. I do know that before people used to wear certain clothes that represented it, where bloods were red, crips were blue. So if you went in certain communities and you saw a bunch of people wearing blue, you could know that this was a crip community. Other times, I mean, they're they're talking about it. They'll let it be known. Other times, they have groupies. So the groupies will say, hey, this person is a Latin king. Stay away from them and stuff like that. You know, I remember a friend of mine telling me that, Harsh, when, you, when you're here, if you see a group of people wearing the same clothes, wearing the same hat, and wearing the same shoes... Don't think this this is fashion. If you wear the same clothes as them and wear the same hat as them and wear the same shoes as them, thinking that you're like following the trends here in America, they might kill you for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that happens. Some people don't pretend to be a gang member. They'll wear all the clothes. They you Have you ever seen those situations called stolen valor? where a person yeah. is wearing the, an army clothes, but they're not actually in the army. That happens with gangs as well. They're impersonating. And once they catch you, they'll beat you up. Hmm. And other times, we have to look even closer. 
the people that we're calling villains, they're calling us the villains. And what I mean by that is that a lot of police officers in these low-income neighborhoods profile a lot. And every now and then, they'll profile the wrong guy. They'll plant drugs on this people and such. And gangs are meant to protect their local community members from corrupt cops. So from the outside, it's as though that gangs equal bad, cops equal good. But in certain situations, there are corrupt cops that are putting people behind jail just so they can you know, fill up their prisons, whatever. But the gangs are aware of that. So some gangs exist to to fight against uh, corrupt cops. Mm. Seems like a weird system. Nothing else. It's like a yeah, paramilitary. So it's a paramilitary for sure, but it, it's decentralized. That's one of the things that we have to understand where it doesn't matter if you go to El Salvador, India, gangs eventually pop up. The question is why? And I think this is their form of creating this community and whether we agree with it or not the question is why are they popping up without a centralized force i think that's kind of how humans are right we if someone's oppressing us then we kind of want to get together and fight against it Mm -hmm. and the only way to do it is in a decentralized way because if it was centralized then you'd all get killed you kill one person you kill the whole movement that's why whenever someone says, uh, stop selling guns, my thing is, don't you understand that a lot of these guns, they're not being sold in actual stores. They're coming in from a black market. So the question is, how do you stop hey, the hey, black market? don't be market? racist, okay? Just uh, I mean, black the market is black. <laughs> <laughs> you know someone's going to clip this now. American market. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever fire a gun before? Yeah. Many times. Did it hit your face the first time? No, I was <laughs> told to hold it with both my hands. <laughs> What's your have thoughts you on guns? Gun? Yeah, I fired a gun before. What's your thought on guns? Would you ever have one? I think that some people need one. I am not one of those people. India is a very safe country. Most people do not need guns. I don't need a gun. Mm-hmm. But... I know people who shot people because they are in situations where you need guns. For example, I know people who have a factory and the factory is in a remote location and people will occasionally try to rob them in the sense that, you know, you're driving your car and a bunch of people will surround your car and try to rob you. So yeah, they have guns and every once in a while they have to shoot someone. Mm. My thing is if someone breaks into your house with a gun, what do you want? Do you want a baseball bat or do you want a gun yourself? I want a gun myself, but ideally I would like the person breaking in the house and not have a gun. Mm, but how do you think they got the gun? A lot of them went Most to the stores, rob- but a, a lot of them... Could... Go on. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of them got it from the stores, but a lot of them got it from uh, an illegal market that... Black you can't market. even track it. right it's fine yeah this is the unapologetic <laughs> truth podcast <laughs> yeah so but in india it's not very it even most criminals don't have guns they have knives but guns are rare hard to come by and committing a crime with a gun is like a really really serious thing here mafia if, people have guns but not everybody 
But what if, hypothetically, there is a madman that got a gun and he's he's machine gunning people? What are you guys going to do then? Call the authorities. Let ha- have them deal with it. Didn't you Even if they you have, have guns? a gun. So the police doesn't have guns. The military, the anti-terrorist force, all of these people have guns, yes. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. But at times, it could be too late. This is a polarized debate in the U.S. where there's a group of people that say, ban the guns. But then there's another group of people that say, no, uh, good people should have guns. There was this video that went viral a while back. It was a guy that walks in a church, and he's about to kill everyone within the church. But there's a guy within the church that has a gun that immediately sees what's going on and kills the shooter. Now imagine if that guy didn't have a gun and didn't kill the shooter. At least 50 to 100 people would have died on the spot. I understand in the West where guns are really popular and there's a lot of guns per person in their countries that they can't really ban guns. But in countries where guns are not really common at all, very, very few people have guns like India. Mm-hmm. 99% of people have never seen a gun, let alone use one. Those types of pe- those types of countries, they're better off keeping it banned. I agree. Where I haven't been to India, but when I went to Abu Dhabi, Dubai, it's a definitely a different culture because it's way more peaceful. And I'm assuming that it's similar in India as well. India actually has a different reason why I would not want to have guns here. Abu Dhabi is peaceful kind of because it's a homogeneous country with only one type of people. India Mm. has a lot of different religions and cultures that do not like each other. And when you have, when you put guns in the equation, what's going to happen is that one person is going to shoot the other person. Then there's going to be back shooting and then, you know, it's going to happen in reverse. You guys are getting gangs now too. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're going to have like some kind of mini civil war between these religions. And we're better off without guns in my opinion. Oh yeah. I see what you're saying. See, diversity is good, but diversity needs to be grounded in unity. Otherwise, diversity leads to infighting. Where in diversity is not good. I, I don't agree with that idea, but go on. You don't agree with that idea? Um, no. You're thinking most people should have a centralized religion and, and philosophy? I think too much diversity makes people hostile to each other and makes people hard to govern for the country. And just because people are different does not mean that having too many differences is a good thing. I think there are places where diversity is a good thing and should be encouraged and many places where it should not be encouraged and it's definitely not a good thing. Mm, And I think the idea that diversity is good everywhere is just retarded and just not smart, not well thought out. Well, I think the better way to put it is if you're dealing with scale, you can't prevent diversity where a while back you were recruiting people to come to India where that's cool, but you know what's going to happen with that situation. A lot of people that don't look like Indians uh, don't have the same culture as Indians. It's going to, ha- it's going to be a factor. So as you're scaling a complex system, whether you like diversity or not, it's going to happen. Now our best thing is to find a way to gear it strategically. 
where I, I do agree with you in that assessment you just made, where you said diversity isn't always good. I think forced diversity is not good. We're, we're saying, okay, well, we have to hire this Spanish guy just because we don't have any Spanish guys. I think that's bad. But I think in a scale system, diversity is going to happen. Now, once that, yes? I, I, I just want to like, interject when i say diversity i don't mean diversity of appearance i mean diversity of values i think cohesion of values is more important than diversity in the mm. sense that even when you are importing people to india we don't want to import people who think very differently from indians we, we don't want to import that. people who hate how, indians how, how are you going to prevent that though if the economic situations add up they're not probably coming in with the idea of hating indians that's probably a little too dramatic but let's say you care for culture, uh, conservative values, but they want to bring in liberal values. How do you how do you stop that? One thing that can be done is to bring them in limited numbers and have them assimilate here before having more of them come in. But or sounds, if they if they have liberal values, then we can't import them. If they have different values than us, then we can't import them. See, think of it like this, okay? Since you come from an Islamic country, let me give an example. If you are importing people, would you import people who think that pigs are sacred and should be worshipped? No. Um, see, with that, I wouldn't. But here's the thing. When you're opening up your floodgates, what happens is that you, the organic thing that happens is that different people just come. So for Dubai, I think right now Dubai is the coolest place to go. But I think five to ten years from now, Dubai is going to be all over the, the place because so many different people are going there. So what happens is that, back to one of the earlier points I was making, in the U.S., roughly around 2005, when you said, I'm an American, that was a cool thing to say. It didn't matter if you were coming from India, Africa, Mexico, whatever. Uh, all that diversity that came as the U.S. scaled, we were all grounded in one thing, that is, we are at least Americans. Now the diversity can flourish. But nowadays, if you say, I'm proud to be an American, some groups of people think that's a racist phrase. It's like, well, what do you mean? And it's like, we have this diversity, but none of us are grounded in something. If you talk to our, the, if you go back 100 to 200 years, what grounded us wasn't just being an American. Those founding fathers would say it was God. Uh, everything they'll say is, in God we trust. That's printed on the coin. So when you don't have that centerpiece, that the theme that grounds you, what happens is that diversity leads to chaos. It becomes chaos. So that's one thing that places like your place should factor, along with Dubai, all of these places that want, they'll recruit. They'll say, come on, guys, we got uh, the free maid service and all of that. You got to factor that in as well. When you recruit others, people with their own beliefs come over you could try to say okay well you have to have these beliefs but a lot of people will get in and one bad apple will start to make others think differently as well see dubai is a different case because dubai is temporary residence in the sense that even if you are born even if your children are born there you can't become a citizen there so you can never mm. become a citizen of their country you just live there for a while even if you live there for 20 years, they expect you to go back at some point, not just become a part of their, you know, population. 
contrasting that to india india does not have that but what india does have is 1.4 billion people so even if we were to take in 100 million people a third of the population of the united states it would still be like 5 6% of the indian population so i don't think we need to bother too much with that because we have so many people that all these foreigners coming in would not make too much of a difference to our populace and you are right where it is a trade off where the more foreigners you invite in the less pure your own values stay as they pollute it with their ideas but it has advantages also where your country grows faster the economy grows faster and things have to be in balance you cannot become japan where they take in no foreigners they don't let anyone assimilate there and they keep themselves really racially pure but at the same time their economy is extremely stagnant they have no young people there mm-hmm. their population growth rate is negative and their country is growing into irrelevancy they are no longer a relevant country in the world and will not be relevant 20 years from now so a balance has to be struck and the way to strike the balance is we take in the best of the foreigners ideally the ones that have their values aligned with us we have them marry indians and get indian values the kid should think that he is an indian not a half breed and the kid will ideally think he is an indian and also work for india but his foreign heritage will allow him to tap into the resources of the west more than the average indian so yes there are trade offs there are negatives to having foreigners in your country but there are also positives and if you have a small population you have to worry more about the things you are mentioning but when you have 1.5 billion people you don't have to worry as much i think you have to worry more than how come because it initially it doesn't seem like much you, you add in 1 million people to let's say 1 billion people it's it doesn't feel like a large factor but then you have to make sure that the 1 billion people are highly grounded in one central foundation and it's it's like that for some time but as you keep scaling more and more years what happens is that that can lead to the the 1 million individuals having a larger and larger impact because you're dealing with a larger sample size i'm trying to think how i can give you a real world example i'll probably have to think about it to see if i could draw a real world analogy into this concept do you mean But- something like a small fraction of population controlling a large amount of wealth in the country and dictating terms to the majority of the population something like that it could be in that regards as well yes that's a good good analogy the main it is the possible, main yes. yeah the main idea i, I want to focus on is that whenever you're scaling any form of system eventually new players are introduced and whenever new players are introduced the pro is that you're going to get unique ideas you talk to any creative person out there any entrepreneur out there uh, they say that diversity and different world views lead to unique ideas uh, 
The con is that now you're losing a central identity. And unless you find a central identity to ground yourself on, whether it's I'm an American, I'm an Indian, in God we trust, something like that, then you introduce chaos. And that's when you get a lot of these outlandish ideas where you're thinking, what the hell? We weren't predicting that. So you get the economic growth in one hand, and you got outlandish ideas that are not adding value, but are actually destructing the location more. I see what you mean. I think that the only way to fix it is to first see the problem as it occurs and then try and fix it. But I, I don't have a good solution it. to it. I don't have a good yeah. solution. Me either. It, it was just something that I noticed because I've just noticed how language has changed within 10 to 20 years where when I was in high school, when you said... I'm an American. Uh, there was that patriotism. <laughs> Nowadays, if you say it, it's like, look at this guy. This guy's a racist. <laughs> this guy's an Oreo. <laughs> Have you ever heard of an Oreo before? No. What does that mean? It's like black on the outside, white on the inside. Oh, that's, that's a weird thing to say. Man, yeah. Huh? <laughs> they have different phrases. So, um, And it, on a small scale, you could just say it in terms of, a company. Uh, one of the great ways to identify it is with a company where for a while, Apple was going to go bankrupt. Did you know about that uh, in the late 90s before Steve Jobs yeah, came back? Yeah, and Microsoft saves them. Yeah, Microsoft saves them, but then Steve Jobs really saved them because he gave them the vision again, where once Steve Jobs went out, it was all this diversity, all these different products, no central theme, you see? And they were about to go bankrupt. Uh, despite having all this money, still going down the hill in terms of forecasting. By the time Steve Jobs comes back in, he gives you that guiding principle. He says, look, Apple stands for great consumer products. Okay, that's what we stand for. And with that theme, now they're capable of innovating. So that's what a leader does for a company. They give you that theme, and then everyone else understands the context of their role. So the discussion that we're having before we were applying it to countries, but you could also apply it beautifully to uh, companies as well. I think with companies, it's more important to have cohesion. It's it's very important to not be too diverse. The mm -hmm. more diversity you have, the harder things are to manage, the harder it is to get things done. And I think that the whole concept of diversity always being a good thing is not well thought out. It works in books and theoretical environments but not in practical environments and i think that a lot of these sociology people they need to go out in the real world and actually test their ideas before they you know vote for what <laughs> the country should do they should have some ownership in their idea it's a big flaw of democracy where the idiots vote and the intelligent persons vote are equal I'm of the opinion that only people with children and some ownership of land should be allowed to vote. But they would say I'm too radical. Mm. Was You study a lot of history. Was that ever a thing? That was a thing for the longest time, actually. In fact, India is one of the oldest civilizations to have had republics. They were called Janapadas. 
mm-hmm. wait let, let me remember what they were called ganasanghas they were called ganasanghas and they had voting and the male member of the society had a vote obviously and even in rome and all these places where they had voting typically men had a vote you needed to own land to have a vote and when you give votes to everybody you give votes to a bunch of morons and they vote for free things so they will vote for free water free electricity they don't want to pay for anything and you end up essentially with a bunch of demagogue politicians who just promise people free stuff you know free loans free money free this free that free food mm-hmm. give us votes and your country just goes down the shitter it's a flaw of democracy it only lasts until people realize they can vote for free things right are you not seeing that in your own country yeah and you could see it on a small scale too did you, did you guys ever have class presidents no you guys know right okay well class presidents were these presidents that we had that would speak for the students to the faculty and typically two to three kids would run the kid that had the best ideas that was the most reasonable you would think that they would win but there was another kid who understood the game it's like if i am class president free pizzas every friday a free recess every day uh, free this free that and that kid ended up winning but he didn't do anything uh, because his ideas weren't realistic but a lot of the kids got sold that dream ah interesting yeah so people are flawed and democracy has this issue the thing is all systems have some or the other issue and there's no real perfect system because everything gets gamed if you have an aristocracy then the aristocracy gets too much power they start bullying the random people mm-hmm. and they become evil if you have a dictator the dictator has too much power he declares world war 2 kills all the jews and things like that so no system is perfect i don't really know what the best system is but having some kind of statesman to lead you is a good thing like lee kuan yew is a good type of leader to have narendra modi i think so too i think is a good type of leader to have putin i think so i'm not sure biden seems like he's not all there i don't know but never met that guy so can't comment but seems like he's not he's not he's mentally, mentally sharp there. yeah yeah you could yeah. say it, man the, the the thing is with Team a lot of these really, <laughs> well he's really old as well but he's been like this for some time um my problem is when there's a career politician hold on how old is joe biden 80 years old where, is he 80 okay <laughs> where when you're a career politician you see life in a 2d way versus a 3d way because you're predominantly thinking in terms of uh, exposure for yourself and passing the law that you created i believe in order to be a leader you need some skin in the game uh, there should be a certain period where you're building some sort of company you have a leadership position in some place uh, maybe you have kids that are successful whatever but you need to have a certain level of skin in the game to even run for a certain political position you shouldn't be a lifelong politician by any means 
I agree with you there, but it's no people vote for these people, so because they have charm. Not just charm. I think that and connections as well. I think a large part of winning an election is actually getting to the getting the party approval and actually getting a ticket to run the election. It's that lo- mm-hmm. you can only run an election if you have the money and the connections to run in the election. And for that, you kind of need to be from a political party or a political family or something. Before the political parties or families, especially, mattered a lot. Where if Jeff Bush uh, for the 2016 election wasn't running in 2016, but let's say he was running three elections before, he most likely beats Trump. But the fact that it was happening in 2016, now, uh, even though he comes from the Bush family, it doesn't hold that much weight because nowadays you have social media and you could do a lot of your marketing on social media. If it was three elections ago, you're predominantly marketing yourself on uh, CNN, MSNBC, Fox. And chances are the Bush family already has connections with these media organizations. Where in 2016, you don't need those organizations that much. Heck, if they're talking bad about you, that's even good. Uh, because now others are thinking, oh, wait, the mainstream media is talking bad about this person. Let's, something good must be going something, on. <laughs> yeah, something good must be about this person. So the era also plays a big role. I definitely agree with you there. Same with Clinton. Big... Same with Clinton. If Clinton was running three elections ago, she's not losing to Trump. Uh, she would she would be guaranteed to win but she had to face barack obama yeah Mm -hmm. for sure i think the whole trump thing his force of personality and the whole comical nature of how he you know dealt with people really Mm -hmm. helped him out where he would he would connect with people much more than the other person clinton yeah that's why she lost to barack obama because one of her criticisms was that she seemed too rehearsed where Barack, he could go with the punches a little bit more, where there was this flaw that he had. Uh, I don't know if you recall, but once he became president, he used to say, ah, a lot. Did you know about that? Mm -hmm. I have noticed that, yes. So he used to say it a lot, and David Letterman used to make fun of him. He'd get a small snippet of Barack Obama saying filler words, and he'd count them, right? He would think that this would hurt Barack Obama's reputation, but it actually enhanced it because some people were seeing glimpses of, oh, whoa, this is a real person. He's like me. He's like me. Even George Bush had certain glimpses of that. People hated George Bush, but every now and then he'd have a thing called Bushisms. He'll say certain things where uh, this was before you could go viral, but people would be thinking, that was pretty funny. (laughs) He seems just like a regular guy. Answer me this, Arman. How did this retard defeat Donald Trump? I mean, I don't like Donald Trump, but not if not, I don't care about American politics, but this guy you have right now, he literally seems like he's not there, like mentally not there. How did he beat Donald Trump? The system, man. I mean, the, there's talks with the stolen election. The other part is that he was Barack Obama's vice president. So anyone that wants that level of predictability where they know that this guy is going to have that bureaucratic nature in regards to him, they know that they're getting that with Biden. Because 
Biden is not sitting down thinking of his own ideas or whatever. He's uh, he's saying he's the talking thinking, points. He can't think. Right. He's getting the talking <laughs> points of the, the powerful and just putting words into that. Uh, so there's definitely a marketplace for Biden folks that, that just want predictability, that, that don't want uh, a president that's going to be tweeting and stuff. That's where you're going to get Biden voters. Do you think there should be an age limit to have a politician? I saw a video of Biden like when he was younger and that guy comes off as like a really sharp, very intelligent person, very astute. Like I saw a video of him like giving a speech on, you know, drugs. And he's like, anyone carrying drugs more than the size of this coin, I'm going to find them. And that guy seemed much more intelligent than the person that you have today. But the guy today, I doubt he can form coherent sentences without reading. Yeah. I mean, he's a lot older and he, I'm pretty, it's been like this for some time. He was supposed to run in 2016. That's when he was sharper, but he didn't run then. And now, I mean, he was the best candidate on the Democratic side where there's Ber Bernie Sanders as well. But Bernie Sanders is a little too, too radical as well. Uh, he's not. Isn't the he the one who likes communism? Is that, isn't that the guy? I saw an interview with him. Socialism. Socialism, okay, same thing. Yeah, I mean, communism with extra steps. He he's also uh, one of those lifelong politicians. Uh, here's the thing, man. If you are that invested in who the president is and such, chances are there's certain things that you're doing wrong in your life. You should be building your life in a way where you remember, oh, oh, this is guy is the president. I'll go whatever. But if your whole life centers around that. The chances are you fell for the mainstream media's game where they consistently need people interested in their latest headlines, stories or whatever. And if you're constantly staying updated with this stuff, chances are you're not building anything in your own life. Uh, who the president is should not be having that much of an effect on you. For sure. For sure. I Some think guys, for the I mean, these though, guys, they, it's yeah. all they have, you know, it's all they have. <laughs> What do you mean it's all they have in terms of talking points? Or do you think it plays a big role in their life? In terms of giving themselves the feeling of power, the feeling that they have control over their own life. Because for most people, they work some kind of job. They have to pay rent. And the only time they feel actually powerful is when they talk about politics because they feel like they have some control over something. And certain times these people do play a role where one of my friends, he was about to get fired from his job recently because he was the only guy that wasn't taking the vaccine. And apparently Biden was the guy who passed a law for you to take the vaccine. So in that situation, the president does play a role in your day-to-day -day activities. I can see situations for that. But if you're one of these guys that's consistently getting obsessed with who the president is, what their latest scandal is, you're a loser to me. Man, I wish India was like that in a, in a in a way because in India, we had the opposite thing. We had one political party kind of in all practical aspects make it mandatory for you to take the vaccine. And the other political party wasn't like, no, 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 this is like bad for democracy. We, we should have freedom and things like that. The other political party was like, the rules are not harsh enough. You guys are being mm. too lenient. You're not effective enough. 
or jacking off or some stupid <laughs> shit like that. Just turn off your phone, keep your hands off your dick and study. <laughs> and timers help tremendously. In the beginning, you should get a stopwatch that counts up to see how long the activity takes. But later on, once you know how long it takes, you get a timer and a timer counts down. And once you know that something is counting down, you feel more invested in the task. Hmm. See, I'll tell you what, in the last four years, I've studied computer science by myself in in the sense that I actually got all the education I would have gotten from going to MIT or Harvard by myself by simply doing their courses. And I was studying two, three, four hours per day. And the way I was doing it was essentially I had like a set schedule where I would wake up, I would study, and then I would start working. And that kind of really helped me out. So try that out. But really, like getting more focus is essentially about doing things that require focus and doing them over a long period of time. The reason people don't have focus is that they do things that don't require focus. They watching Instagram reels or TikTok that doesn't need focus. That changes every thirty seconds, and because you're not using your focus, you lose it. If you start using your focus again, you will get it back. Hmm. What do you do nowadays? Uh, you mentioned the classes before. Nowadays, do you have a certain activity? I have some courses left, which I am still doing. But I'm also studying Plutarch, all of his works. But I have work now. I have a lot of businesses to run and things to grow. So my work involves a lot of intense focus. You still read? I still read a lot. I'm studying Plutarch. So I'm reading all of Plutarch's works, which will take me like six months. Wow. But lately, I listen to more podcasts and audiobooks simply because I tend to go out more to eat, and it's easier to do that. Oh, so you're not reading manuscripts now? You're, you're I do read books. I read, for Plutarch, I am reading the books maybe half an hour a day, but a lot of content that I'm consuming is coming from audio nowadays when I'm driving and things like that. So Plutarch had a, a left a big impression on you. Is leaving because I'm only like 15 person through all of his works. There are like 20 books to read and I'm through with one and a half. So going to take some time, but I'll get there. Maybe like six, seven, eight months more. Good luck, man. Well, Jamin, hopefully you got your answer. And the next one is from Ajay. When face reveal. <laughs> what face? <laughs> I'm AI. Is he not aware? Life, math, money, GPT. Dude, this is one of the perfect times to believe that. I always get DMs. Have you seen him yet? (laughs) 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 I will say this. From a lot of individuals that I've worked with, because I work with some big names behind the scenes, boxers, entertainers, lawyers, whatever, a guy that inspires a lot of awe and wonder is life math money. People are, <laughs> I kid you not, man. People are really curious about you, which is a great thing. Well, it's a great thing, but it could be an annoying thing too. I'm assuming it's an annoying thing, yes. <laughs> okay, so the other one is a very long comment. I don't know if there's a question in there. Do you want me to read it? It's from They Became Us. Watching this podcast for a while now, heard in one of the episodes that Harsh reads William. Uh, Darumpel, 
Darren Poole's books. I uh, want to inform that most of his books are not based on primary sources slash contemporary sources. Hence, he slowly inserts his propaganda in it. Until the lion tells the story, the hunter will always be the hero. African proverb. He is a leftist who hangs out with far left elites of Jaipur Litfest and doesn't give space on Jaipur Litfest to people of other sides like Rajiv Malhotra. Cancel culture. Some credible Indian historians are Jadunath Sarkar, R.C. Majumdar, Minakashi Lekhi, her archival on debunking Sati and widow burning, B.B. Lal. What I'm saying is read both sides. Always reading opposing views. I start reading Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx, even if I know it's complete bullshit and impractical. Jai Hind. See, I agree with him there. When I read his book, William Dalrymple's, I'm like, this guy loves Mughals too much. Like, nothing negative to say about Mughals, really. Like, these people Who? are killing so many. The Mughals. Oh, okay. Uh, and yeah, so he comes off at least from the book I read, The Anarchy. Like, this guy loves Mughals. That is my take on this guy. So he's not, he, obviously, everyone has bias. This guy has his own. And what this guy's advice to me is, I agree with him. We should read multiple sources and form our own opinions. Mm-hmm. But there's only so much time. Right. And the other one is from MK Board. In the last episode, he talked. He was the one that talked about having an internship in PETA. Uh, during my internship, I would help my seniors with whatever they would ask me to do. It would range from making Excel documents, transcripts, or a report. But mostly my work involved research. Here are a few interesting things, though. Number one, they keep their office a secret. It is due to the backlash and threats they receive from people. And also, people leave animals in their offices. Two, cats and dogs roam freely in the office. Cats would jump on desks and dogs would poop around here and there. They have a staff especially for cleaning. Three, they have all the contracts in the contacts in the press and contact them before a protest or an event. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if you were running a some kind of activist organization, then that is what you would like to do, right? If you are making a protest happen and no one hears about your protest, did your protest right. happen? <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. the idea of send, finding out where PETA's office is and then you know ordering meat for them. Send a swiggy driver there. I've seen videos where people eat meat right in front of PETA people. (laughs) (laughs) I do not like PETA people. I I showed you the video of the carrot as the dick, right? Yeah. PETA is not a fun video to watch. These people are weirdos. These people are total wacky people. Mm. Radical dude. 1735 is number of times Armand spoke like. I did notice that in the last yeah in the last episode. Um, it, it was one of those episodes where it's just I wasn't mentally there. Uh, I take full accountability. I'll, I'll fix it. What's wrong with saying like? I don't get it. So I think every, that every person will... go on. Well, every person has a crutch word of choice. Um, some people say ah, uh, some people say so, some people say like, some people say you know, whatever. And I've noticed two things in terms of filler words, and this is a good communications lessons for people. Number one is that certain times the ideas are so grand where people will just automatically say more filler words. Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, Bill Gates. Why do they use so much filler words? Because they're trying to communicate a big idea 
to the public. And when you're trying to communicate a big idea, every now and then, uh, you will sacrifice certain filler words rather than pausing. Pausing requires a lot of conscious effort, where saying a filler word such as a uh, is something you're willing to do just to express this idea. That's one reason. Another reason people use filler words is due to dehydration. Uh, if they're not properly hydrated or such, uh, chances are they're going to get sloppy with their language. Uh, it's very similar to someone who is dehydrated and going to the gym. Chances are they're going to get more cramps. And the third reason is due to informal situations, where if it's a public speaking event, saying a lot of filler words is in poor taste. But if it's something informal in nature, where me and Harsh were talking as friends, it can slip up more. So you have to be a little bit more wary of that. How long until people make a drinking game out of our filler words? Oh, yeah. Every time Arman sees like we do a shot. Do you have one? What filler word do you use? I don't know. I'll have to listen to these episodes to find out. Dope. Um, those are it. Those are it, my friend. A good episode. I'll catch you soon. Yeah, guys, leave us a like, comment. If you have any questions, ask us. Hit subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Blah, blah, blah. You know. And we'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye-bye. All right. Take care.